This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Health Yeah, your prescription for health, medical, and wellness information. I'm Monica Robbins. The recent wave of this Delta variant is very concerning, especially to parents, and it's more concerning than the previous Delta mutations that we've seen in the pandemic, especially how this is impacting children. So to talk about this issue is Dr. Rob McGregor, Chief Medical Officer for Akron Children's Hospital. Thank you so much for being here on such an important topic. Well, good morning, Monica, and thank you for having me. And it, it indeed is an important topic, especially with school reopening. Um, you know, many of you are parents and many of my staff are parents. And that just adds another challenge to guess whether there was a, an exposure in the classroom today or not. So I do think this is a really timely topic. Well, let me ask you this. What makes this variant so different from the ones we've seen before? That's a great question, Monica. What, what we are seeing on the ground in the children's hospitals all over the state of Ohio is about three weeks ago, many of us had zero to one patients admitted a day with COVID. And I was on a call Monday or Tuesday with the team from across the state, and every one of us was in double digits. So that, that's the magnitude of this, this round. And none of us really saw that with the first two surges. So I don't know if the virus, this variant is specifically targeting children. I think what's more likely is it's so contagious that there are so many more people that are actively infected, so many more children infected, and then we're getting to see those uh, not so common challenges with kids that are sick enough to be hospitalized or in the intensive care units. So I, I, I really, it's a great question. I wish I could tell you for sure that it's because it targets kids versus it's targeting so many of us in the general population that the number of people infected are gonna let us see those outliers more often. So what are you guys seeing at Akron Children's right now? So we are seeing last week, we had the most tests that we ever had to perform since COVID began and the highest positivity rate and the highest number of people uh, infected. It's interesting from an infection point of view, most of the kids, well, two thirds of the kids are less than 12. From an admissions point of view, two thirds of the kids are over 12. So the admissions are kids that could have been vaccinated, but most, in fact, I think most all have not been vaccinated, either weren't eligible or opted not to get that. So the, the outpatients uh, are predominantly the younger kids and they're sick, but not so sick that they require hospitalization that can be managed in the outpatient uh, areas. Last year and during the second wave, when you did have kids coming in with COVID, what was your peak? How bad was it? And how does that compare to now? I think our peak then, we did hit the teens. We hit 15, but it wasn't sustained. Uh, and then we got busier about four weeks after the holidays because we started seeing MISC. So the, you know, the multiple inflammatory syndrome of childhood that follows uh, a COVID infection and looks very much to the general popu population uh, like uh, the Kawasaki disease used to, used to be appearing. It, it's very similar in terms of you get a vasculitis, you get a rash, you get a high fever, you get multiple systems involved. We've not seen that with this at this point in time, although I have to admit, I have to take a pause because that usually follows the peak of four weeks. So we may be back discussing 
MISC again in, in a month from now? One of the things we were really concerned about is the shortage of pediatric beds and also the staff shortage. Are you concerned about that or are you seeing it now? Well, we, we are tight now and I, I am concerned because one of the things that's an interesting phenomenon of having successfully masked for a year is we skipped a season of RSV. So we really had little to no RSV last year, which is typically a winter virus that affects normally younger infants. We're seeing it now affecting kids two and under, and it's rampant in the summer. Now, why it came roaring back when we were out of school in an open air, I'm not sure, but we saw the same thing happen with our colleagues in Australia. So we saw this as a predictor. So now we have a perfect storm of COVID increasing, a winter, winter virus showing up in the summer and the early fall, and then we have to really pause and say, what's going to happen if flu hits with a vengeance this year as well? So all the children's hospitals shared that we have staffing issues, both not, not so much providers as we do nursing, the, the physician providers, but we do from nursing point of view and the medical assistants. So all the hospitals are looking at creative ways to expand staffing. And we're, we're already doing that. We've expanded our waiting areas in the emergency rooms because our throughput is not as fast as it, as it had been because our volumes are really as, as high as we've seen. We had days in the last uh, two weeks that, that were as high as we've ever seen this time of year. So it's sobering, it's a reality. We have wonderful folks that are committed to what they do. So we're putting in a lot of incentives to get people to work extra shifts and work overtime. And so far, so good. But you ask, am I nervous? I, I am nervous because I don't know what I don't know. In Southern Ohio, they're seeing a lot more cases. In the South, since that Delta wave has been just running rampant, we've seen more cases of kids in the hospital. But in Northeast Ohio, we kind of felt a little cushioned because our vaccination rates are a little bit better. Does that help? Are you seeing that? Or are you, are you fearful that what's happening in Southern Ohio, even Columbus, is just going to make its way north? Well, I, I am... I, I'm recognizing that vaccine does pr provide some prevention. And it's certainly, if you're a parent and you're worried about your, your school-aged child that's not eligible for a vaccine, the, the best defense is to get yourself vaccinated and make sure you're protected. Because again, you may have a mild case. We don't want the next person infected. You know, It looks like the infectivity of this virus is really remarkably higher than the other variants that we had through. So that, that would be the mainstay. I am worried, I think, at least in Northeast Ohio, we do have a higher vaccine rate, but in the areas that are unvaccinated within Northeast Ohio, it's a challenge. And I hear that from my adult colleagues in the region. You know, again, I think pediatrics was relatively spared the first several rounds. So, and we know that our kids don't all have the option to be vaccinated. So over half of our inpatient kids can't be vaccinated. And I feel we really had that obligation. Our adult colleagues though, are finding a lot of uh, fatigue from admitting people who could have been vaccinated who are now really sick. And that's, that's taken an extra toll on my adult caregiver colleagues that fortunately we, we're not having uh, in the pediatric population. 
One of the things we have been seeing uh, now that kids are back in school is a number of quarantines because of exposure. Where is Summit County and what are you seeing uh, based on exposure cases, quarantines, and what does that tell you about what you may be seeing in the coming weeks? Well, it, it's interesting. A statistic that came from our Akron uh, or our Summit County Public Health this week said that since August 16th, 1,070 kids from local schools were quarantined. The fascinating point, and again, this is a fact, it's not a political statement. Only 23 of those 1,070 kids came from schools where there was a mask mandate for all students and teachers. That's a pretty powerful suggestion that just as we saw during the first two waves, we did prevent a lot of routine infections and the variation was masking and distancing along with hand washing or, or hand hygiene. So that's the most powerful thing. We have seen some school districts that started with masks optional and many of the families have shared with me, masks optional means that your child is either one of three kids who wears a mask or they give in to peer pressure and don't wear it. I don't know that that statistically stands up, but that's the anecdotes. Um, and when they had several quarantines, including teachers and school bus drivers, they reversed their decisions. And hopefully we'll see that being a, a good way to at least flatten the curve back to the very beginning. That's what we really need to do to make sure that we can get everybody else vaccinated. If children get the option to get vaccinated, I would sure like to have most of them already out of harm's way before that happens. Does it... Uh, yeah, what do you say to these parents? You know, we just had a bunch of parents protesting in green uh, for a mask mandate last week. And and what is your advice to to folks who seem to think that kids are not doing well if they are required to wear a mask? Well, I think the, the most imperative thing for a parent to have in, in their head is that children need to attend school. They need that socialization. Can they do it as well? with a mask, I, I would argue they probably can, but it's certainly gonna be better than having the school shut down and having to go virtual again. So I would really suggest that, you know, if, if they're really pushing back about the word mandate, say, let's have a temporary moratorium on maskless and flatten the curve, see what happens in four to six weeks. If all the school districts could consider that, you know, again, I, I understand that there's local rules and regulations, and I don't envy the school administrators, but I think the, the exercise that we've seen in Summit County is pretty profound, and that really makes a difference, and want to keep some kids there. We don't want them having to be quarantined. We don't want parents to have to take off work to take care of them when they're quarantined. I, I recognize how disruptive that is, and I think if we could step back, take a breath, and say, what are we trying to achieve? We're trying to achieve children maintaining continuity in their schools and in their friendships. So mask would be a, a small price to pay to be able to keep that going. What about behavioral health issues overall? Have you seen any relating to masks or anything else relating to uh, the pandemic itself? Now, if we talk about mental health uh, diagnoses, we've, we've not seen that. If we talk about children with special needs, such as our kids on the autistic spectrum, Masking is challenging, and I think we do need to consider accommodations. One of the silver linings, if there are silver linings in this pandemic, is that we found with our children with special needs, telehealth visits 
have shown us much better picture of how they can actually function in their home rather than coming in getting screening, facing masked people and being out of their uh, usual routine. I think my, my, our providers in, in that area have found it as a, as a real benefit. Uh, in the school settings, you know, again, we have to work with what, what are our options, but so the, the short answer to your question is true uh, psychiatric disease. We've not seen that. I've not been made aware of that from my psychiatric, psychiatric providers, uh, but from a behavioral health for the children on the autistic spectrum, there have been some challenges, however, they can use that as a goal. And, you know, just like they do with any of the other therapeutic interventions. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of health professionals who consider that a secondary pandemic of bad information. So now that, you know, kids 12 and up can get vaccinated, there are a lot of parents who are concerned about getting their kids vaccinated. And, and I'll ask you about when you're, when you're expecting, uh, you know, five to 11 to get approved. But for right now, for parents who have that ability to get their kids vaccinated and they're on the fence or perhaps they're very fearful, what do you say to them? Well, again, it's, it's not common for those kids to end up on the, in the ICU on a ventilator or on bypass, but it's not unheard of. We have had otherwise normal mid-teenagers mid on, the, on the ventilator having requiring respiratory support. And we know in areas of the country where the vaccine rate for the general population is low, some of my colleagues in Mississippi had as many as six kids in their ICU intubated at the same time. I, I don't know the mortality data yet, but I know that there have been some mortalities. So I, I don't know how many kids is a small enough number to say it's not a big deal. You know, for me, that's zero. Um, and my grandchild is only 10 months old, so he doesn't have that option, but rest assured, um, he, he will likely get vaccinated. I, I, won't, I won't mandate with my own daughter, but she's a healthcare provider, as is his dad, and they already drink the Kool-Aid. So I, I think it's really important for us to recognize that those kids can get it, carry it to other kids or other vulnerable adults. So that, that's well known. And for those few children that end up in serious condition on ECMO, which is essentially bypass, that's a big deal. And those kids, even when they survive, it's going to be a long recovery. And just to clarify, you're referring to kids not because they got the vaccine, but because they got COVID who Absolutely. are ending up. Absolutely. I'm sorry if that was not clear. It's really, it's, it's COVID. You know, vaccine, I've not found, I have found some children that had some opportunities for us to intervene uh, soon after their, their second vaccine, just because they had some of the mild cardiac effects, all were completely reversible. The kids that get COVID, their heart disease is much more serious and lingers and have been in our intensive care unit requiring extra support. I'm really glad you brought that up because there was a study that uh, Case did that looked at that issue of you know, heart conditions relating to the vaccine compared to heart conditions relating to COVID. And the numbers were astounding. Can you kind of uh, explain that a little more about, you know, the dangers of, you know, a heart condition from getting the vaccine compared to COVID and, and what can be done if, if it does happen to a child? 
Yeah, that, that study was actually done in conjunction with one of, one of my cardiologists. They used de-identified data, so it wasn't from any specific hospital and it didn't violate any of the patient privacy issues. But it, it was striking data that said COVID active infection related heart disease was more serious, required more hospital attention, and had more prolonged effects afterwards than the, the rare people who got a, a little bit of heart inflammation following their second vaccine. And those children responded very quickly to therapy. This um, increase in COVID cases comes at a time where you're already overrun with RSV. You talked about how, you know, that typically doesn't show up until October, November, and you've been seeing it since May. First of all, why do you think that is? And then, you know, we've, we've got a flu season coming and we're not sure what that's potentially going to bring. So I know a lot of parents are concerned about giving their kids a flu shot and a COVID vaccine. So talk to me about RSV and how similar is it to COVID and what should parents know? And then let's talk about the flu shot and COVID vaccine at the same time. So RSV is typically a, a winter virus. It affects the respiratory tract. So there's lots of secretions, lots of rapid breathing, and often characteristically wheezing. COVID we see come in typically with fever and children are, are sicker. They've got lower respiratory disease. They've got pneumonia when they end up in the hospital, but at the front end, they can look alike. So you have, well, it looks like it's just a common cold and that turns out to be COVID versus three days from now, oh, now they're wheezing. You know, so I think we really need to be on guard that they can present relatively similarly in the beginning. I think that the other question you said was, what about the flu vaccine? It's very safe to give the vaccines at the same time. So I'm hopeful that our vaccine for the younger kids comes out in early to mid fall and people can get both vaccines at the same time. You can get them sequentially. It doesn't look like there's any problem with that. And I don't think you should generalize if you're vaccine hesitant because of something specific of misinformation you got about COVID, I would love for you to move past that. But if you can't, don't skip flu. You know, again, these vaccines are not 100% effective, but if they keep us from getting seriously ill and overwhelming the healthcare system, so if your child is unfortunately seriously ill, there's an ICU bed in, in your local children's hospital, so you don't have to be moved across the states or out of state, I think that's that's a win. That's another issue. I, I don't think people understand that you, it is possible to get COVID and flu and RSV. I mean, it, that would be incredibly rare, but it is possible to get dual infections, right? Correct. And we have had kids with COVID and RSV across the state. And when they have that in combination, they are sicker longer. And it's impossible to tell what's keeping them sicker longer, if it's the RSV or if it's the COVID. But nonetheless, those are times those kids are out of normal childhood and oftentimes sitting in a hospital. You talked about your staff is being tight right now. What's their overall morale? Well, those are all real issues. I think the compassion fatigue is more of an issue for those who take care of adults that could have been vaccinated and now come in and are deathly ill. Uh, I've heard from some colleagues in the adult systems that their empathy 
just isn't there, which is a, is a key sign of, of burnout, which has a lot of other ramifications. Our staff is pretty resilient. Uh, even if they're feeling anxious or angry or upset, um, you know, we, we keep in mind that over half of our kids can't be vaccinated. Hence, our hospital has taken a stand that you're either vaccinated or you're tested frequently. That was very unpopular by people that say, you know, I, I want to make my own decision. I respect that. But when over half of our kids don't have that option, I sure wouldn't want to have inadvertently infect someone else's child who came to the hospital for something unrelated to COVID. And that, that's really, that, that's probably pushed our, our staff to be a little more anxious. But I think overall, people that are called to take care of kids, it is a calling and uh, not to be self-serving. It really is something that, you know, many of us could have done something else that was a little more lucrative, but really found the joy in, in, uh, in taking care of kids and following our promises that we would treat kids like, like they're our own. We would treat people like they want to be treated and we would turn no child away. That's really what I hope we don't get pressured to turn children away because we don't have room in the inn. What's the biggest misinformation concern you have out there, especially as we see these battles in school boards relating to masks? Uh, you know, so many are opposed to vaccine mandates at this point. Um, I, I'm not sure why, you know, public health and just regular health professionals aren't being listened to. Um, you know, what's your take on that? And what do you say to people who challenge you or question you because of information they're finding on the internet? Well, I find that I have to listen to where they're at and appreciate that they have some concerns and there are things that they read, whether it was a credible source or not. I, I wanna listen to that and at least understand so I can agree or I can agree to disagree. Um, sometimes that diffuses it. I, I, I don't wanna fight. None of our providers wanna fight. They wanna make sure we help. And that's why I think we need to kind of hit pause as we're seeing the hospitals really get more and more overloaded. We need to, we need to hit pause and say, okay, let's, let's step back. Yeah, I, I like my personal rights, but I think the community rights have to trump my personal rights during a time of a pandemic. You know, the, the word unprecedented gets overused, but this is truly unprecedented. And I've been a pediatrician for more than 35 years. I never, ever thought I would see something like this. And I empathize. We're all tired of wearing masks. But in terms of the things that the misinformation, I guess, selfishly, because most of our kids can't get vaccinated yet, I would say the first piece of misinformation is the whole thing about masking, making children mentally ill or uh, you know, masking not being effective. It, it was remarkably effective last year. You can ask my ear, nose and throat docs, everybody, every child that was on, on the docket to get tubes didn't get a cold, they didn't get inflammation, their ears got a little better and they put that on hold. That's a real fact. It's not a political statement. It, it, it relates dis distinctly to the time period where we were masking. So I think I, I would take on masking now until the five to 12 year olds can get a vaccine, then I'll take on that misinformation. Final points from everything that you've seen for the last year and a half relating to this pandemic, um, what strikes you most and what is that message that you clearly want people to understand? 
What strikes me most is that all parents want the right thing for their child. They don't know what the right thing is. And I'm struck by the fact that they don't go to the child care experts, the people that try to keep their hand on this every day. There's new information. Was there information that we shifted quickly early on? Yes, because it was brand new and what was true today wasn't true tomorrow. But these are people that, that make their career trying to keep up with it to keep children safe. So my message would be, please listen to your healthcare providers. If you have a difference of opinion, share that difference of opinion and recognize that we're not to be disagreeable. We can disagree without being disagreeable. And please, if you can get vaccinated, get vaccinated. It's not too late to help bend this curve. It's not too late for us to get ahead of the next variant that maybe is more aggressive. And hopefully it'll be one that just burns out, but we've not seen any, any signs that that's coming. Dr. McGregor, thank you so much for your insight and for being part of Healthy Yeah. Well, thank you for spreading this information. Please find me on Twitter and Instagram at Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Subscribe and find video podcasts on my YouTube channel, Monica Robbins. Until next time, have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.